To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, new episode of Eastman's Elevated. So let's see if I remember how to still do this. It's uh, It's been a couple weeks. It's just um, been so busy going on these hunts. I did uh, my Montana rut hunt and did that with um, family and then got back and just had a couple days in between and then went on this Ohio whitetail. So I may have forgot how to podcast. We'll see. Um, I'm going to try to do the, the intro and ending all in one. I'm going to try to do a solo episode today. So I just... I just want to talk about this hunt I had with my family and talk about uh, mule deer hunting and um, whitetail hunting. And I, I, I've i just had so much go on here in the last couple of weeks that I just want to kind of break it down and uh, see what we can all learn from it and uh, let you know the mistakes I made and, and uh, also the successes we had and uh, just been an awesome couple of weeks. So anyways, we'll do it live today. So our sponsor for today's show is uh, Onyx Maps. Um, Onyx is just a game changer for me. Um, I use it on my phone now exclusively. I didn't even use my GPS this year. You know, I, I catch all the maps in there so you can, you can pre-save all the maps for where you're headed. And then you can do like this big overall save that makes sure that you get all the units. And and when you're doing it, just make sure that you have the map layers on that you want to be saved so that your private public or, you know, your, your public land owners is on that map when you save it. And then you save it and then you don't even have to have cell phone coverage and you can go into it and you can just actually see on that screen and navigate, zoom in and see topography. Topography. It, it's just an absolutely awesome app, and and I I'll also save in detail some of my favorite hunting spots or the spots I want to go because therefore you can you can zoom in further and see even more detail, and then you can switch over. Anytime you you save a map, you can do topography, you can do um, aerial photography, which is like Google Maps and that, and then also Google Maps with um, topography in it, this hybrid system. But they are just putting out an awesome product. And just recently, I started using it on my computer as well. And uh, so I've been using it on my computer for all my scouting. And just what an awesome tool it is to have all your units on there, unit breakdown. And and now they have a new overlay um, that's the Eastman's MRS overlay. And so this is brand new. I just heard about it today. I I think it goes out to the public today. Uh, What a well-designed overlay for, for their mapping system. And so it just overlays our grading system for units. And then you click on it. It'll give you information on how many points it is to draw. Um, you know, the, oh, the percentage of people that were satisfied with their hunt. Anyways, it's a really cool overlay. So make sure to check that out. I'm super impressed. Can't wait to get in, dive into it deeper tonight and, and, uh, see what I can find out. And, you know, we're just, we're getting out of this, this 2017 hunting season and starting to get into tag season. I know I have uh, one more hunt left for coos deer that'll come up in January, which will actually be a 2018 hunt, but, uh, what an unbelievably awesome season. I've talked about it. I swear I say it every podcast, but it's just been a great year. I'm just starting to, 
you know, I've always been able to hunt a lot, but this year I was even able to take more time and really enjoy my time of field and help family, family and help friends and help them be successful and um, get into critters and, and, and then just have a bunch of my own adventures that I went on and, and was successful on a bunch of them. So uh, just absolutely awesome hunting season. So I just can't wait for next year and start doing the research and, and figuring out where I'm going to put in and which hunts I'm going to, I'm going to go for and, and, uh, hopefully the, the draw gods are on my side next year, but I just absolutely can't wait. And, and, uh, so it'll be fun to start getting into that season. And I'm going to use Onyx maps a ton for my, my scouting and my research. Um, just an absolutely awesome program. So thanks to Onyx maps for sponsoring the podcast. Um, getting ready. I'm going to head over. I'm going to touch bases with Eastman's here. I think in the next couple weeks, I'm going to run over and record some podcasts over there. And I got some, some good ones coming up. I got to play catch up here for a little bit as I've been playing hooky for the last two weeks and hunting like a madman, which is just so fun. But, uh, so I'm going to start recording some, I got some really good guests lined up, uh, going to do this solo podcast here today. And then try to squeak in a run here and then get back. And I've, I've got another one tonight and um, a, a bunch of podcasts and really good guests coming up. So uh, I just can't wait to, to keep working hard at this podcast. Get over to the Eastman's office and hear about a lot of those guys' hunts and, and uh, catch up with them. So it should be just awesome. Um, so today's podcast... Uh, I want to talk like where do I even start with this deal? So I just got back from a Ohio whitetail hunt, and I went out and and uh, stayed with Clint Casper out there, and he's got a bunch of farms he's got permission on, and um, just trying to do, you know, this is how most uh, of the hunters in the United States hunt is for whitetails and out of a tree stand, and and I can see why now. You know, I've always been a spot and stock hunter, and even in Montana here. When I hunt whitetails, I usually spot and stalk them and sit for some spot for a for a little bit of time and and wait and be patient and then I'll move again. But I I've never really played the the tree stand game, and so I get out there and it's just all this rolling farmlands and um, there, there's just there's so much feed, beans and corn out there, and and, and any of the rolling lands is all. Uh, made farmlands and in tracks of uh, different private pieces of property that that uh, you have to have permission on to hunt and it's just the way it's set up out there but Clint has permission on a bunch of different farms and his own family farm and uh, a, a bunch of really cool spots but and then so there are all these rolling farmlands and then they have these hollows or these you know deep draws or depressions and in these deep draws or depressions you can't do any farming and so they're all these hardwood draws and they're hardwoods oak uh, maple a bunch of deciduous trees and even a few pines in there and they'd all lost their leaves and so the leaves are all over the ground you can't move through there quietly you hear everything and so you can't really stalk your way through as it's is it's thicker country and they're they're small tracts of land I know one of the farms I was hunting was like 16 or 18 acres and so you know you you go spotting and stalking through that pretty soon you've chased every deer off his farm and he's looking at me like hey what the heck are you doing there's no more deer left there but it's weird their their populations they have a good population of deer per square mile you know there there's deer everywhere but they're just not condensed i'm used to them being so condensed over in our montana river bottoms and where you find deer you know you may see 50 or 100 of them i mean there was a couple days i sat in a stand all day long for 12 hours and i saw three deer or i saw two deer 
Um, you know, and there was other days I sat in there where I saw 20 in four or five different bucks, but we, we finally got on this good farm. I had a good buck walk by me the first day and he just walked by in some thick stuff and I drew on him at one point I had a range and he was like 55 or 56 right in there, but there was just so many limbs in there. And so I drew back, had a good range on him, and then I grunted to stop him, and he just took two more steps before he stopped, and he stopped just with a tree right in his vitals, and I could just see his shoulder and his head, and then I could see the back half of him, and I had a couple inches. You could almost slide an arrow in between the tree and his shoulder, but it just wasn't an ethical shot. It, you know, I was going to end up hitting him in the shoulder, nicking the tree, and so it, it just wasn't a good shot, and so I passed on the shot, kept it full draw. And then the buck started walking again and I stopped him again and there was just too many limbs. It, you know, you just couldn't find a window to shoot through. And so um, he kept walking and then there was no shot from there on out. And he was just like a good heavy eight, but a big one, nice and heavy and bladed fronts and nice and wide out past his ears. Really nice white tail. I would have been pumped with him and and then just played the game, sitting in a stand um, all week long, choosing different places in hollows where these bucks move through and then these different farms. And I, I had one farm that was producing pretty good where Clint had seen a really good buck on there and had photos of him. And it was actually the buck Clint was trying to kill. And such a good guy just puts me in the, the best spots after the deer he's been after all year long. And I sat on that farm quite a bit. And then finally, the last day, I saw the buck we were after. And this buck, I mean, I can't even do justice to it, you know, with words. It's, um, it, it was, so it's a, a six point with some stickers. So I've started calling whitetail by their eastern count now. I used to always call them a three on top or a two on top. But since hunting whitetails around, you kind of got to use the lingo. And so everybody knows what you're talking about. And so I've uh, I've adopted the lingo of an eight or a ten or a, you know, whatever it is. But it, he's anyways, he's a six. But he's a six with giant eye guards, like probably 10 inch eye guards and stickers. And then he's just so wide and his frame's so big and he's heavy. And, and I've always said that about whitetails as mass makes the deer. Um, but looking at Clint Sheds, I mean, it, it is incredible. Some of those eights and like this six, just so heavy and so wide and palmated and just just a, a absolute specimen of a whitetail. Well, I finally saw him the last day and he crossed 130 yards out from me. I wanted to get down from that tree stand and stalk that buck so bad, but you've got your harness and your steps and, and these deer are so switched on too. I couldn't believe how switched on they are. And it's not hunting private. Like I think of it, it's, there's all these smaller tracks and they have such a long hunting season that these deer, they get pressured so much. And so it's like hunting high pressured whitetails and these deer are switched on like in the tree stand, you know, any squeak or any movement and they're looking up at you, you know? And so you really got to be good even when they walk by your stand to be able to get drawn and not have them see you. And like the beans I was sitting on, I was sitting on this bean farm and, and the does and smaller bucks that would come through. I mean, you got to hold absolutely still, you know, or they'll, they'll pick you up and pick you out up there. But this buck came by at 130 yards and I, gosh, I wanted to get down so bad and stalk this buck. And in hindsight, I probably should have. And Clint wouldn't have minded, you know, I, you kind of think, you know, your buddy that's getting you on this place, you know, you, you definitely don't want to make him upset or do something that he doesn't want as he's letting you on his land and you're staying at his house. And he, Clint was just a great, ga uh, great host. And 
um, really set me up right, and, and uh, he had a bunch of tree stands hung for me. I don't know how many different sets he had, so I had so many different options. He worked really hard to, to try to get me an opportunity, and so crossed it 130 yards, and I just didn't feel like I could get down without that buck seeing me, or by the time I got down and made a play, I thought he's going to be in the thick trees and in those leaves, and so thought, you know, win in Rome, do as the Romans do. You got to be patient, just wait for this thing, and so I figured he was rutting pretty good, and there was 20 different does I saw that morning, and so I thought, I'm just going to stay here, and hopefully this buck, you know, comes back out and walks by me, or comes out in the evening, and so I did an all-day, 12-hour sit, and you think I could take some cold coming from Montana where it's zero degrees and I can, you know, it was, um, it wasn't that big a deal, but a 12 hour sit and it was a North wind 15, 20 miles an hour all day. And yeah, it's probably only 30 degrees, but a wet 30 degrees. I have never like just holding still for that long. It is tough to keep warm. I had to wear twice as many clothes as I thought I should, or that I would in Montana, even if it was well below zero, but that, that just, sitting there still as can be for that many hours boy that's cold so I I worked hard all day just to keep warm um and waiting for that buck to come back out and he never showed himself again and and you know I did have some chances at some smaller bucks some three-year-olds some some eights that came by but just not the big and heavy I was looking for but a great experience and and fun to just experience something different you know me I'm I'm always into oh new experiences and and uh new tactics hunting a new place on planet earth and just trying to learn from it and so you know the lessons i took away were were great i learned a lot about patience (laughs) sitting in a tree for that long oh my gosh um but you know there you do you have to be patient with with critters you know whether you're hunting whitetails or whether you're hunting muleys or you know anything out west sorry guys i got this fly in my recording studio here which is my downstairs room he was just trying to land on me there it's for getting into winter time I shouldn't have any flies around but that thing was after me but yeah just new experiences and new place on planet earth and just trying to figure it all out uh, but I did take away some good lessons on patience and the chess game of those whitetails you know where you're going to sit and and uh, trying to use your your most recent information and then just just quizzing Clint like a madman, you know, I swear uh, I'm like a interrogation officer at some point, just interrogating him just on information and where he's seen bucks and how he's seen him move through and what I saw and what I should do different. And, um, so I really learned a lot from that is just, just picking Clint's brain is he's a whitetail expert. He's been there his whole life and just has a bunch of really good bucks on the wall and and then a ton of great sheds. I'd look at his sheds every single night and pick them up and just giant tens and giant eights and uh, extras and weird ones. And so it was really cool. I, I got even farther into the whitetail game than I've ever been. And I've always appreciated whitetails and we have them here in Montana, even though I usually hunt muleys because I'm just so sick for muleys. But um, I did I did learn a lot. And um, so you know, it just one of those things, you're not going to fill every, every tag you have. And, uh, you know, and also I've got to pay my dues. I don't know if I deserve a big whitetail at this point. Like, yeah, I spent seven days all day long in the tree stand, but you know, I don't know if that warrants a, a giant buck is, is, you know, Clint probably does 30 or 40 days, 50 days in a stand throughout the year as they have a long hunting season. So, um, you know, it's just one of those deals where I got to pay my dues and, and, uh, earn my opportunity, but I did enjoy that tree stand game. Is it something different? 
Um, but I do love the Western game. Let me tell you, uh, that's my niche and that's what I, what I love to do. And so right before that, let's see. Um, I don't even think I told you guys, maybe I mentioned it, but I went out with my daughter on that adventure hunt and I was going to have her here on the podcast to join in on me, but just our schedules are so crazy and she's, she's been, uh, practicing basketball and then she's got school and um, timing just hasn't worked out but I'll I'll get her on the podcast here once with my family and maybe get my wife on there or something and um, so you guys can meet her and um, get some insight into it but she just had her birthday yesterday she turned 14 and so we've done these adventure hunts this is the second year in a row and so we went out just me and her and and uh, drove out we drove uh, to a spot like five six hours away where they really got some good mule deer populations here in Montana and started hunting and it was good. Um, got down in there and, um, gosh, we found a giant buck, um, with big backs that I actually ended up hunting quite a bit with my bow. Um, but we found that buck and he was like 50 yards over the fence of where we could hunt. And so we kind of stayed there and waited for a while to see if he'd cross. It was really cold. Uh, that morning, I think it was maybe 10 or 15 degrees, something like that with the wind blowing and snowing and, um, so cold morning, but we sat there and waited for that buck to see if we could get him to cross and he never did cross. And so I just thought, well, let's just keep hunting. And so traveled around, grabbed some different vantage points. And, and then we spotted this really nice buck off this vantage point. And he was, a uh, for Taylor, um, last year she killed a three by four. And so we're just looking for a decent buck. We've got three days to hunt and, uh, you know, any three point or four point will do, um, any good, decent one, you know, we passed up, a. A four point that morning is a four point, but really young, like a two year old deer. And I, I just told Taylor, like, it's up to you, but I, you know, I think we can do better. And, and so she agreed and we knew where that buck was. So we could always come back and hunt him um, and just kept looking. And then we uh, found that buck across the fence and then grabbed a different vantage point and spotted this really nice um, three point. It was a pretty nice wide one, would have been Taylor's biggest deer. And so you know, we made a stock and made a play on it, came around it, had a good wind. You know, I saw the bucket maybe 150 yards or somewhere right in there, 180, maybe it's 150 yards or so, but just see his head and his neck and we couldn't get a good rest. And I had shooting sticks, um, which really helps kids for getting steady and helps adults for that matter. I, you know, my cousin later in the hunt, he used the sticks. I've got my dad with a, a set of them and so um, the sticks really work good, but we had the sticks and tried to get set up on them and couldn't get set up and started circling around and I don't know what happened. Must, some some of our scent must have drifted down in that bottom, even though we had a good wind in our face or something, because I know they didn't see us. I could see all the does and we were sneaking around trying to get different angles and, and we ended up busting them um, and, th- and they took off and... So, you know, it's like a little bit of a letdown, but, you know, uh, I'm used to it, and, and uh, Taylor's getting used to it for sure. I just said, well, Taylor, we were close. That was exciting, you know. We almost got a shot at him. We're just trying to get the right shot and didn't quite work out. And so um, got back up and moved down and grabbed another vantage point, and I spotted a really nice buck across, a nice four-point. And at this point, we're like a mile away from where we had seen that buck. Maybe not even that. Maybe three-quarters of a mile away or so. Um, and, uh, so I told Taylor, well, let's go get a little bit closer and let's keep an eye on this buck and see if we can make a play on him. And he kind of disappeared into this big thick of timber. And so we were just going to grab a vantage point, sit across from him. And by now the temperatures are warming up. It's 30 degrees or so. And 
sun's coming out so it's pretty nice so we're gonna go sit on this opposing hillside and kind of look for this this nice four point we start hiking and we're about to this vantage point i look over and i spot this buck just bedded off the off the side of this hill and he's just bedded there and he's kind of looking in our direction but doesn't see us i spotted him before he spotted us and so me and taylor we kind of work around him and have taylor look at him and it's actually the same three point that we were just chasing. He had gone, made this long loop around the hillside and come all the way around. And he was laying in these big rocks and he was in this bed in these big rocks. And so we got Taylor set up and, you know, first she just wasn't steady enough, you know, and she just told me, ah, I'm not steady enough. And I said, well, you know, I had her on a kneeling shot on the sticks and we were trying to shoot over this sagebrush and we could see him in his bed and had a good shot at him in his bed. But I just told Taylor, I said, he doesn't know we're here. You know, we can, we can keep moving around. We can get you set up right. And so we got her to a sitting position and sitting position. We couldn't quite get over the sage and couldn't quite get a clear shot. And and finally, I think enough time had passed, and uh, Taylor kind of took charge of the situation, you know, as as far as what she was going to shoot. Couldn't get her sitting. I said, well, maybe we can crawl down here and get a laid down. She goes, Dad, I, I think I can hit this thing from a kneeling position. And I, I said, well, let's get you set up and take a look at it. And so back set up into a kneeling position over the sticks and... I think she had just had enough time where her heart rate calmed down and uh, she looked at it at the kneeling position. She said, yeah, dad, I can hit this deer. And I said, are you sure we can get you down? We can get you set up in a different position at this time. We're maybe 125 away from this buck or something like that. And I said, well, we can get you set up different. She goes, no, I can, I can hit them. I'm steady. And uh, I said, well, go ahead. And, you know, we did a bunch of practice before season, as we always do, shooting positions and uh, got her familiar with her rifle. We shoot those low kick shells. I mean, she weighs 75 pounds, but she shoots that 7mm 08 and shoots these low kick shells. And we just try to get close and kill them. Like she can shoot. She shot her deer last year at 225 or so. So she can shoot. And and we haven't really tried much or practiced much further than that. So we try to keep her to about 200 in. But yeah, 125 yards, set up on her kneel. She looked at me and said, Dad, I can hit this buck. And I said, okay, squeeze on it, you know. And she squeezed on the trigger and just whoop, just uh, just hit that buck absolutely perfect. That buck never picked up his head. He never tried to get out of his bed. You couldn't have walked up and put that bullet in a better spot. She absolutely nailed him. So um, that was cool. She got excited, and I was excited, and so we hugged, and Went over and look at her buck, and yeah, her her best buck to date. Just a, a really nice three-point and had some eye guards, if I remember right, and um, like a three-year-old buck, maybe a four-year-old buck, but her best to date, and uh, we got to share the hunt together and then um, process together, and she's she's helped me butcher over the last couple of years, and, um, you know, I haven't really had her gut a deer yet, which... Um, you know, when you harvest your own animal, it's it's part of the process, but she's been so young or it's, you know, it, it's been cold and, and I like to butcher these things. I don't know about you guys, but I do this gutless method. Um, I just don't drag deer anymore because I don't shoot them close enough to the road to drag them. So I'm always either quartering them or boning them out. And so I do this boneless method and I've got my system just down pat where, gosh, I can do a deer by myself in about 40 minutes or half an hour or so and have it all loaded up. Um, 
so so we did the boneless method and so you know last year when i did her buck i had her hold legs for me and i kind of skinned and worked it but this year able to get her own havalon knife which is spooky that thing's just like a razor blade but she's so good butchering and with knives and i've taught her the right way to cut away never cut towards yourself so she's just super safe and like i've never cut myself with a with a halo i'm just super careful with them and i've tried to teach her that same way and so you know we i what i do is i start with the deer laying on his side and then i i take both legs and so i had her work the front i work the back and then you cut around um all like the bottom end of the leg like past the joint so then you can cut off the joint and then i skin up the inside of the legs and then skin it back and you're always working to to fold that hair over to where you're not getting any hair on the meat keep it as clean as possible but i i start there and i skin and then i make a slit down the inside of the leg and then i work uh i I work the skinning process from you know that lower part of the leg and work it up towards the backbone and then i make a slit like up the belly where you'd gut them but i just cut the skin and so i do that front and that back leg skin the belly and then I just roll all that hide over until I get to the spine and I once I do that then I can remove the quarters with a knife and the front shoulders are really easy you just cut in the void in there and you just cut until it gives way and then the quarter just comes off take the bottom end of the leg off at the joint there or you bone them out and when I bone them out there's like um, the shoulder blade and then there's this um, line of bone that runs up the middle and I'll take either side of that and basically I can get the front shoulder off in two big chunks of meat. Um, and then the the hind end, I can take that off. Um, I usually take that in two chunks. So what I do first is I, I take the sirloin. Oh, uh, first off, taking the back quarter off. So that one's a little bit trickier. What you got to do is you got to find the ball socket. And I've just done it so many times that it just uh, comes natural to me. And, and uh, But what I do is I start cutting on the inside of the leg and get down in there until you find the ball socket. And, and then move around towards the back. And you're just skinning it really tight to the bone there where you don't leave anything. And then it comes all the way off from, from that ball socket. And then I lay that out and then uh, I lay it on a game bag. And then I take the sirloin first, which is the big round one that looks like a football. And I kind of split it where the muscles split themselves, where you're not even really cutting into meat. And then you kind of carve it down to that main leg bone and then just skin that off and get that sirloin off. And then the next one's the round and that's the big one around And Same thing around that. I just skin it around that, that bottom bone, separate it from that calf muscle all the way down and in and, and get that piece of the meat off. And in most states, too, you have to leave sex attached to the animals. So that's a little tricky. It's taken me some time to get my system. But basically what I do is I leave a, a, a thin a thin strip of hide that goes all the way up the big piece of meat that goes all the way down and connects the balls and, and that. And, and I leave that attached to the, to the big chunk of meat. So I'm all legal and good to go. But anyways, we processed it together, gave Taylor her own knife, and we worked it. I had her take off all the quarters, had her, you know, once I get the quarters off, then I'll take the back strap, slice along that spine in there, and then and then cut that, um, carve that right off the top of the ribs there, take that whole back strap off, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. And then I get the uh, tenderloins. I actually get those with the guts in them. I'm able to kind of sit him on his side or sometimes straight on his belly and then right along the the spine right there and it's in between the back hip 
and then the front where the ribs start it's in between that section and then you just kind of cut along there and you're able to find that chunk of meat and then you're able to cut along the bottom half and kind of separate it from the stomach right there and you're able to get those tenderloins out of there without gutting um so we we processed that whole thing and and uh packed it out together and got it back to the truck and this is the first day but uh just can't pass one on the first day that you chewed on the last and we do only have three days and we missed the use season this year and so you know she's out in in general rifle season with with everybody else and so you know it's it's out there with the orange army general rifle season in montana in a really good mule deer spot so you know i was a little worried about the pressure and you know we just you know, to get her set up right on a buck and, and, and then have a good experience, be able to, to work, you know, along the, those draws and coolies and, and not run into a bunch of guys or have her feel nervous, but uh, mission accomplished. We nailed it. Um, able to kill that buck, get him back to the truck. And then, you know, we had, we'd driven so far from the house. It's, it's like, well, Taylor, what do you want to do now? You want to hunt with your dad? And I had stuck my bow in. I almost didn't even bring my bow cause I was just so focused on her hunting. But, um, I did throw my bow in and, and, uh, I just, I love hunting with my bow. It's, um, it's something that just grabbed a hold of me years ago. And it's not like, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want this to come out wrong because there's definitely nothing wrong with using a rifle, especially during rifle season, but there's nothing wrong with rifle hunting and it's fun. I have nothing against it. You know, it's, and it's challenging. A lot of times it can be challenging to find the right animal and, you know, I just felt like I've spent so many years bow hunting and I've improved my skill so much to where, you know, I, is it a challenge for me? Well, yeah, it'd probably be a challenge to find the right buck and be able to harvest them. But I just feel like the essence of the hunt for me is, is getting in close. Like I, I really feel like that is true hunting to me. It's like inside that hundred yards, making the right moves. It, it's like this thrill that I can't get any other way. And I, I just, you know, I'd shoot something with my rifle and it's been 10, 11, 12 years since I've shot something with a rifle. And like I say, nothing against it. Rifle hunting is fun and enjoyable. And I love doing it with family. I love doing it with friends. And, and if that was my only choice to hunt, I'd be hunting with a rifle too, but I just get so much more out of the experience with my bow and arrow and getting close. And I said a long time ago, I'd kill something with my rifle and I go, Oh boy, this sure would have been cool with my bow. And after I finally came to the conclusion, like I'd rather kill a smaller animal with my bow than I would a bigger one with my buck because it means more to me. And also I'm, I'm like constantly keeping in this bow hunter's mindset. You know, I'm, I'm always thinking about the wind and how do I get close? And I'm looking at the terrain to where I can get into 50 yards or 40 yards of this animal. And it was like, if I was rifle hunting, I'd almost get out of that thought process to where now I'm just trying to get inside 200 300 400 yards and lay down and get a shot not that you can't get close with your rifle and get it done like like me and my daughter do or you know that I do with with family nowadays but you know it it just it was taking a lot out of it for me like um that getting close and and uh trying to outsmart that animal in tight like like was just the ultimate to me and like hunting the rut now like I, the rut with my bow and arrow is some of the funnest hunting I doing. Like, like being, you know, you think of like the elk rut and being into those bulls bugling. What's well, it's the same experience with with mule deer and hunting the rut where you get to watch them um, posturing towards other bucks and chasing does around and and uh, you know they they just throw caution into the wind and they 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 just um 
you never know. Every group of does may have that monster buck with them. And a lot of times they're splitting off that doe and they're going into the cover and trying to breed. But being in that experience, it, it, it means the world to me. And to have my bow in my hands and playing that game in, in close quarters, it, it's so thrilling to me. And it, it's such a cool encounter that I feel like I'd miss out on it if I hunted with a rifle. I mean, you wouldn't. You see the same things, but... God, just that in close on a on a big rutted up buck it just it gets me so excited so nothing against hunting with a rifle and and really I think I think everybody should hunt with a rifle and I think you know if you set yourself up where you're bow hunting during rifle season you better be set up to fail you better be willing to eat a tag and I think guys also need to gain that experience with a rifle and have that success like my daughter she bow hunts and she's a great bow shot it just takes so much work and so much effort to kill one with a bow that you don't see that payoff and you don't fall in love with it like you got to fall in love with it by seeing a little success and and so with a rifle is is perfect for her. she's got a little bit more range on it you know we can go down there and expect to harvest a deer at least expect to have an opportunity at it and I think it's the same thing with everything else like like hunting is this ever evolving learning circle where you continue to get better at it the more you do it. And I think finally you just reach a point where, you know, you you want you I see enough animals and I see enough mule deer that I know I can get opportunities with my bow. I know I can locate enough where I can I can locate a mature buck and I'm gonna get chances with my bow. And that's what flipped the switch for me is like, okay, I know I can get enough opportunities that I can harvest one of these things. Now I just need to commit to it. And I I think it's that same thing where you need to gain experience and like hunting hunting bulls with my rifle in the late season. Those were some of the best experiences I ever had. It's such a great opportunity to to get out and be outdoors and be learning. You know, they're high pressured elk and, and you're you're out there trying to find them in, in this general rifle season, high pressure environment. It's it's dang tough. And I learned a lot in those years hunting with a rifle and same thing hunting muleys with a rifle. I learned a lot. But I think there comes this point where you, you you reach this level of skill where all of a sudden it isn't as big a challenge for you. For for me to shoot a big mule deer buck with my bow, I've got enough spots and see enough of them per season. I'm not saying it's a gimme or anything like that. I'd have to work at it, but um, it isn't the same challenge for me. The, the hunting one with my bow and arrow during general rifle is this huge degree of difficulty. And so when I harvest one... I mean, it means the absolute world to me, and it's such a thrilling encounter. So, anyway, hopefully I explained that right, where I don't offend anybody, because I do truly believe everybody, you know, should be rifle hunting, but for me, I've just reached this point where I want to be bow only. I Hunting things with a bow means more to me. I, I know every year I'm going to get enough critters to, to fill my freezer and feed my family through the winter, and it's, you know, it, it makes the hunting season last for me, too, and, and it's just... I mean, for me, it comes down to those thrilling close encounters. That just means the world to me. So anyways, off my high horse, but we're, I have my bow down there. Taylor got shot her deer first day, and so I said, well, you know, Taylor, you want to hunt with me and run the camera? And she said, yeah, and so I gave her my camera. We weren't going to try to film it or anything like that, but uh, just have her you know, take photos as we're going along, and I, I took a bunch of photos of her as we as we did this hunt, but you know, also, you know, it's like this new opportunity for her to be able to have this, this nice camera. And, and she uses my, my old camera, which is the, I, it's a Sony, uh, 
It's not the A6000. That's what I'm running now. But it's like the A3. It's the previous model to it. But it takes really good photos. And it's got a really good lens. And she plays around with that quite a bit. And so I gave her my camera with the good lens on it. I said, you know, take pictures of whatever you see, whatever you want, you know, whatever interests you. And we'll take a look at them at the end. And so we started hunting with my bow. And uh, it was dynamite hunting. I mean, we let's see. What were our dates? I, I got to remember the dates because the dates were so good. Um, but we were just the very beginning of November. So I want to say like the second or the third. And I'm telling you, as I, I always hunt, uh, early and I'll hunt all the way through the season. You know, it's still open now this Thanksgiving weekend here in Montana. And in fact, I talked to, to Tyler, uh, Boshma that was, uh, he's been on the podcast and we might record another one if he has time coming through, but he's, he's going to go out there and hunt muleys late. And so still hunting them late. I'm still seeing guys put down good bucks and, and they still rut late, but that early time it, and we were in the pre-rut, not every group of does had bucks. In fact, you looked over a lot of groups of does that didn't have bucks and kind of think, gosh, are they rutting or are they not? But as you kept moving through, eventually one of those groups of does would have a giant buck with them in it. And uh, then as we got into my family hunt, I mean, we hit the rut absolutely perfect. But I, I'm going to try to plan earlier dates, like take my time, you know, when I take a week or whatever on these earlier dates. It's just good hunting. But so we kept hunting that buck that me and Taylor had seen in the morning, that giant buck that was across the fence where we couldn't hunt 50 yards. We actually packed that buck back up to the to the truck up there and I started glassing around. We grabbed another vantage point, started glassing around. Well, I found that buck across the way. And, uh, he's a good buck, man. He's super heavy and older buck and great big backs. And we saw him across the way and he was rutting some does and there's another three point there. They were in this timber patch. And so I said, Taylor, I said, you know, there's, there's a good buck over there. Let's, let's, let's go give him a try. And, and Taylor was just a trooper. I hiked her a bunch of miles and I, I also got to be careful that I don't grind her too hard that I don't, um, you know, I've got to kind of cater the experience to her. Like I like pushing hard and she does too. She likes pushing hard too, but I can't take her for a 20 mile hike during the day. I'm just going to burn her out. She's not going to have any fun, you know? And so I got to kind of cater it to her, but we hunted hard. And so we had that buck spotted and we had to drop down and cross two really big canyons and get up above that buck and come around it and came around where I thought those deer were going to be in right below us. You know, there's some does feeding right there. I said, Oh, Taylor, here's some does right here. Come take a look, come to the edge. And uh, she came to the edge there and looked at the does and they're right in bow range. And then pretty soon here I see this buck coming and um, it was the wrong buck. It was actually the three point. I don't know where that big one with big backs got off to, but that three point was right down below us about 45 yards or so. And um, I passed on him, but Taylor got to see him in bow range. And, you know, she said later, gosh, dad, if that was me, I would have shot that buck with my bow. And I told Taylor, I said, yeah, it was a really nice buck, Taylor. I said, but I'm, I'm coming back here in a week or so. And we got your deer, you know, so we'll let him live another year and, and, uh, see if he grows up and keep hunting. And so went back, couldn't locate that buck with big backs the next day. Um, I see, just kept hunting, kept seeing some bucks, passing on some bucks. And then I did spot a monster the next day. Um, just a really good, heavy, big buck. And I could tell it was an older buck, but I, I didn't get a chance to get a scope, uh, the scope on him as I just saw him working up this ridge. And so we went and couldn't have taken us more than 10 minutes to get to where he was. We had hiked down that morning to this vantage point and seeing a bunch of deer, but saw this buck couldn't have taken more than 10 minutes to get to him. And we crept over the top us too. And 
looking around, looking around. We can never could relocate that buck. We searched around for uh, a couple hours in there. He was somewhere. He wasn't too far. I think he was just rutting. He was by himself cruising country, and he must have just moved out of that drainage before we got there or something, but uh, he got away from us. So anyways, we, we had the success of Taylor's buck, and so um, we we called it a hunt and drove back and got some really cool photos of it. And um, just, um, I mean, the highlight of my hunt season, being able to share that hunt with my daughter and just have some great conversations too, you know, as you drive in so many hours to get out there, you can just kind of talk about things and be honest with them and, um, you know, just give them advice here or there and, and uh, you know, just, just trying to set them up to be successful in life, you know, and so uh, it's pretty neat to be able to do that and camp out with her. And so really enjoyed it and get back and had a few days of work to get done. And then I'm going on this hunt and I'm going with my family and um, this is really cool. So I've got an uncle and a cousin that are coming out from Washington. Um, and, and my uncle did not draw a deer tag this year. So it was just my cousin that had a deer tag. And then my other uncle that lives here in Montana, my uncle Roger, and then my dad. And then we had another family friend come. And so we went and set up the wall tent out there and and, uh, you know, we're just, we're just basing this, I've, I've hunted this place for like 10 years and I can't tell you how much time I have invested, how many, you know, probably a hundred days out there hunting. And I can't tell you how many hours, how much gas money I have, you know, cruising around, learning new areas, finding deer populations, hiking in, finding vantage points. But I, I've just got this network of spots now that I've just learned over the years from spending time out there. And so to be able to share this hunt with my family is so cool. And so we go back out and, and, uh, we actually went out. My, my dad was just so sick for it. He was so ready to get hunting. And so my uncle and cousin weren't coming in until Monday or Tuesday, Monday, I think. Um, but it got to be the weekend and, and, uh, me and dad, we work, uh, dad's my, uh, partner with the construction company. Um, so we usually work, um, five days a week and then take the weekend off and, um, but he's, he loves hunting mule deer and, and with his rifle, it's so much fun for him. And so, um, you know, it got to be Friday and heck, I think we took Friday off and, and made our, uh, traveled over there and we thought, well, we'll scout for a couple days before Chris and Jay, which is my other uncle and, and cousin that are coming out from Washington. We'll scout for a couple days and, and that way we just get enough hunting in as they're only going to stay through, um, Friday or so, uh, maybe Saturday at the latest. So they had four or five days to hunt. And so, we figured we'd go out early, get the wall tent set up. And I just love this wall tent hunting with family. And I mean, um, so we get out there and, uh, so we go out the first day and, and, uh, my, my uncle Roger and the other family friend, they're going to hunt together the first day. They've got some spots that we've hunted before. And then I told dad, I said, Oh, I've got this spot down here. Like, let's go, let's go check out this spot this morning. I said, it was really good last weekend with Taylor. And so we cruise down and, um, get down in there and, and, uh, it's gumbo it's gnarly, even just getting to the spot where you can hike from. Um, but it's frozen that morning. And so of course, what am I going to do? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get into this spot, you know, and we'll deal with the mud later. And so we get in there and, uh, just before first light, we hike out to this little vantage point out there and, and, uh, lights start coming on. We spot a couple does and a couple does over here and, all of a sudden I look over and I spot this group of does and it's just got this monster buck with them. Uh, just this giant, deep forked, heavy, older deer, you know, and, and, uh, I'm hunting with my bow. Dad's hunting with his rifle, but you know, I saw this buck and I said, dad, you got to take a look at this buck. And 
you know, I've, I've got tons of years to hunt. I've killed some really nice bucks and I, I've got a bunch more really nice bucks in my future. And I know how much dad loves to hunt mule deer and he's killed some good ones over the years, but this, this would be his best buck to date, you know? And so I have him look at dad looks two seconds, but he's, he's such a, a nice guy and he's so into the team hunting and, you know, he wants to make sure like, you know, I'm not just taking him down there so he can kill this giant buck. And so he kind of hems and haws and says, well, you know, he says, I'd love to shoot that buck, but he said, you know, you can stalk it. You can go with your bow and go stalk. And I said, oh, no, dad. I said, you know, it's your turn. It's a giant buck you want to shoot. It's the first day. You want that buck. Let's go kill him. Let's like, like you shoot him. Let's go kill that buck, you know? And, and, uh, so I finally convinced him that it's his buck and that he should go shoot it, you know? And, and, uh, so yeah, we made just a short play after this buck off the vantage point and, set up and have him in range and gosh what was he about 200 yards or so or I don't think he was any closer maybe 200 220 I think is what he was that's exactly what he was 220 and dad set up he's got this new deer rifle he's built this new 270 just got a sweet scope on sweet setup uh, good ballistics and he's actually gone down in caliber he shot this 300 for years and he shoots it well um, but just wanted a little bit smaller caliber, a little bit more accurate, and uh, this 270 fits the bill. I mean, you sit at 200 yards, and you put three inside 100 inches pretty easy. So he's got this new rifle he's all excited about. But we get him set up, and uh, excuse me, uh, we get him set up, and that that buck is rutting this doe, and ruts are out of sight, but you can still see a lot of the does on the hillside. And Dad looks at me, and we kind of go, you know, God, should we make a play? Should we try to go around on him? And uh, you know. I looked at the situation, just said, man, let's, let's sit right here. All his does are up there. He's going to come back up out. Like, let's not screw this up. You're set up in a perfect spot. And so, you know, it wasn't maybe five minutes later, this, yeah, I saw the doe come popping out of the bottom. I said, dad, he's going to be behind her. And then all of a sudden that buck came up behind her. Sure enough, came up and dad just put him on it, uh, put it on him. Boom! One shot and just down, you know. Just dumped that buck, made a perfect shot, and and uh, it was pretty cool. I I did a Eastman's Elevated. I did a story on a live story and collected some video of Dad walking up to his buck and uh, took some really good photos for him. And he was so pumped. I mean, it's it's his biggest buck to date, and he just loves hunting mule deer, you know. And so it's first morning, first day. Dad's tagged out, you know. He kind of laughed and joked with him and. You know, boy, you didn't have to work too hard at that one. And but but anyway, it's just an awesome experience and so cool to get dad his his best buck to date. And it means way more to me, you know, helping him harvest that great deer than it would have me shooting it with a bow. I mean, it it don't get me wrong. I would have loved to kill that deer with a bow and arrow. But to be able to share in this experience with my dad and have him be the shooter, yeah, it's just the ultimate. So really cool. We get that buck down. Um Gosh, we, we keep hunting and scouting, and, and uh, I mean, the rut is just in full force, but the pressure isn't on at all. There's nobody around, it doesn't seem like, and we're able to hike and get away from guys, and, and there just isn't that many hunters out there. Everybody here in Montana, you get a general elk and a general deer season tag, and then everybody hunts elk early and then hunts mule deer late um, during the rut, and the deal is, is people want to time the rut right. They don't want to go out there and see pre-rut action where you don't see many bucks, and so they try to time it right in the center of the rut. Well, we hit right at the beginning of the rut, because the weekend before, me and Taylor saw just a little bit of rutting activity and a lot of pre-rut and a lot of does by themselves. I mean, this whole week, I mean, I can't tell you, 
mean, we were seeing 15, 20 bucks a day. I, it was crazy. It, insane rutting action. And every group of does had a buck with them. And, and if they didn't have a buck, it was because there wasn't a buck around in the area. But uh, we kept hunting, and it just um, absolutely insane hunting. And, oh, so we got Dad his buck, and then I started focusing with my bow. Um, oh, we got Dad's buck. We hunted that day. Uh, we went down, and then um, I hunted a spot with my bow later that day, and Dad glassed for me. And I went on two different stocks that day, and I'm looking for a heavy next-level buck to shoot. And we just shot Dad's buck, 180-inch deer that we just killed. So, you know, I, I've got that one fresh in my mind. And we get down to this end, and get out to this vantage point and look around and all of a sudden I spot that big heavy buck from the weekend before that I had seen with my daughter Taylor giant backs big heavy mass and I looked at it and I, you know, I don't it may be more massive than your buck dad I mean he he won't score quite as good but it's a 170 inch deer and a big heavy one dark heavy horns and then giant backs always get me going I love giant backs on a mule deer it just makes them look so tall so Anyways, we, we had that, uh, that, that one with the giant backs and I had them bedded in a really good spot and, uh, worked all the way around him with the wind, right? Came over the top and the basin he was in and I just couldn't find him. He had changed beds and I glassed everywhere in there, keeping the wind, right? And different points and, and then even worked out farther up the, you know, he's up like a spur draw, looked up the main draw, glassed everywhere. Just couldn't turn him up. But it was, I got a good play on him. He just wasn't there when I got there. You know, wasn't the first, won't be the last mule deer that gives me the slip. In fact, won't even be the last one that day. <laughs> so, uh, so I get back to the vantage point and we get looking around and, and pretty soon we spot this other buck. And this other buck, God, he's got deep forks. He's heavy horned. He's just a, just a killer looking mule deer, you know? And so he's rutting some does. And so I, you know, I send it again down this drainage. I've already made one play all the way across this huge drainage and, you know, miles in between, but it, it's not too gnarly. It's, um, it's kind of whole breaky country, kind of big, huge draws and, and spur draws off of them. I just love that country. This It's kind of like some lowland country for muleys. And I love hunting the mountains for muleys, don't get me wrong. But this lowland country with these high populations, it, it's pretty fun too. But uh, glass over and, and spot this um, this deep fork buck. And God, he's got good forks front, good forks back. And uh, I told Dad, I said, man, I, I think I'll be happy with that buck if I harvest him. You know, that's a good looking deer. And so we watch him for a little bit and then I make a play on that one. I move all the way around him and come up over the top and he's not there. And I see Dad giving me hand signals, you know, that point down the draw or down the ridge. And so I move down the ridge and keep glass and glass and glass and can't turn up that, that buck. I turned up some other smaller bucks down there, but couldn't turn up that one I was after. So finally returned back up and. And then we had to make our way out of there and everything had melted. It had snowed all day on us. It was snowing when we shot dad's bucks, snowing when I made these stocks and uh, that road turned to absolute gumbo. And so I had to get after it. I got that new truck I was telling you guys about. Man, oh man, did I have to light that thing up and do some driving to get out of there. You know, I, I thought we were going to have to stay the night down in there, which is no big deal at all. But, you know, we got my uncle and family friend back at the wall tent. And so you're trying to make it back. And it's like, well, I'll push it as far as the road lets me. And if it gets too gnarly, you know, I'm not going to slide my truck into a tree trying to get out of here. I'll just sleep tonight, let it freeze over and come out in the morning. But 
Um, it was a little white knuckled getting out of there, but that's a little fun. It's a little, little bit, a little part of the adventure too. And you got dad's giant buck in the back, you know, so we're feeling pretty good about things, but I make it out of there. White knuckle my dad. I, I scare the heck out of my dad sometimes, you know, he is always willing to go with me and he's always willing to, to push it with me. Um, so so that was fun. We I got out of there. I, I can't believe made it up the, the last hill up there and, and uh, got out, made it back to camp. And then um, the next day, uh, surprise, surprise, dad doesn't want to go back down that, that uh, to that spot. He's just, you know, it was gnarly getting out of there. But but me, it's all frozen now. It's like, well, dad, if I don't come out tonight, I'm just going to spend the night down in there. You know, whatever it takes, I'm going to go in there. It's hot hunting. I saw those two shooters, you know, besides the one we shot at yours and and multiple other bucks, by the way, you know, it, it is just absolutely epic hunting. So I get down in there and I start glassing around and I, I spot quite a few bucks before I get to the last van. I see, I worked two different vantage points. I think my buck count was like nine or 10 bucks, but I didn't see anything that was that older age class, some threes and fours, but nothing I was looking to shoot. And then I, I get up to this spot up there and and glass over and and I see this nice heavy three by four and god he's he's just an older deer you can tell he's five six years old heavy horns and I start looking at him and look at him through the scope and go gosh I think that's a deer I'll be happy with if I can get an arrow into that deer and so I start playing the game with that deer and I follow him a couple miles like down into this 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 huge draw and into the next draw and I just kind of keep with him and at one point I had him at about a hundred yards and slipped back over the hillside and tried to come around. Should have been in bow range, but he just kept moving. And he's just, um, he's on the prowl. He's by himself and he's looking for does. And so I just got to keep moving with him. I got to keep with him, not let him see me, but it's just this, this epic thrilling hunting where you got a buck you want to shoot. You got your bow in your hands and you're just traveling with him. and you, you, you peek over the ledge. Is he there? Is he there? And then you glass and you see him a couple hundred yards out still moving and, so I get down and I finally get down to this point and I glass across and he has found these does that he's rutting and along with them, there's like all these does, like 10 or 15 does and there's another giant three point down there and another, another three point with big fronts that's not quite a shooter like a three, four year old, but there's this giant one down there that's a four or five year old deer, big, heavy, wide three point and I, I like big three points. As long as they're mature, like I like big three points. If they're heavy horn, I don't care what they'll score. Like I just want a big mature one. And so I watch this three point and this this three by four and they're rutting does. And they're similar in age class and, and uh, similar in size. The three point was wider. Um, or the three by four is wider. The three point was pretty wide and pretty tall. Um, but I just watch them rutting these does and, and I'm trying to come up with a plan and I watch them for an hour or so. And finally they kind of move in position where I think I can get down below the deer and kind of be hidden in the draw and then come around them, get my wind right and come up on them as they're rutting. And so I kind of make this game plan and I get down in that, that draw and I, you know, at times I'm inside of these deer and I have about 60 yards I have to close in the wide open. And so I just keep my binos on the deer I can see, the does I can see in the buck, and you know, I'll move really slow and take a couple steps and glass, move really slow and take a couple steps and glass. And so it it took me a half an hour to make it across this opening or so. And then now I'm in the draw and now I'm hidden. So now I'm moving country and I'm trying to get around on them while they're still up on their feet and still rutting where I can make a play on them. And, and uh, 
So I, I start working around her. I get in that draw and I start moving and all of a sudden I freeze and there's a buck right in front of me. Well, it's that buck with the giant backs I'd seen with Taylor. I'd hunted the day before and he's by himself and he's traveling. So all of a sudden, this, this big backs buck that I just love the looks of this big back buck, back buck, big backs buck. So, um, and he's working up this draw and I got a chance to cut him off. And so I kind of move with him and then move around him and try to cut him off as he's coming up the, the draw. And I, I just get to this tree and you know, it's like this, this game. And I, I told you guys, I think on the last solo podcast or one of the podcasts that, you know, when, when you're coming up over a rise, like that's when you really got to move slow and, and make sure you don't get busted and catch other deer and don't just expect that deer to be in front of you. Be looking left and looking right so you don't get surprised like it's your your one chance. And so, you know, I'm kind of moving slow because I expect this buck to be anywhere. And then I catch him off to my left and he's coming up the draw. And so I set up by this tree and wasn't sure if he was going to come up my side or the far side. He ended up coming up the far side. And so he crossed right in front of me. 90 yards and then he got by that other three point I was telling you I was going to pass with the big front so he crossed right in front of me at 90 yards just nothing I could do I had to just watch him cross by me and yeah he gets up by that three point and they posture towards each other and he kind of runs that three point off and that three point doesn't have any does anymore he's by himself and so he kind of takes off over the ridge the big backs buck chases him off off and then um the the buck keeps rolling up and so I wait be um, when he gets behind like this big bushy tree and then I start making trying to make tracks on him just trying to close that distance and get a shot at him and and he was pretty switched on he um he was really looking around and I mean my wind was right I hadn't made any moves he hadn't caught movement just a switched on older buck rutting or no rutting like he isn't gonna get shot or he's trying to pay attention you know to everything around him well he got behind that big bushy tree and I tried to close some distance and at this point you know I've watched him for 45 minutes in front of me work up this draw and he's really taking his time and gets behind this tree and I try to make a move at him and gosh dang it he he must have heard some grass or maybe he saw me in between the limbs or something but I ended up spooking this buck oh I you know you're you're just um you know you just I just hate messing up on a big buck I'd like to kill that's when you want to get everything right but it's just the way it is it's the game I've chose in tight with a with a bow and arrow but at this point I mean I have been hunting bucks for three four hours I mean you know, I talk about these bucks, but there's other four points I'm seeing and three points. I am in the absolute buck party. Like in this drainage I'm in, there has to be 10 different bucks and probably 40 different does and they're going everywhere, you know, and, and I've seen three shooters that I'll shoot the one with big backs, the three by four, and then the big three point are all just giant older bucks that I'll, that I'll kill. And, uh, so it is just epic deer hunting and through my scope I've watched them posturing towards each other I've watched them chasing does I you know I, I I've watched bucks traveling like I mean I am just I am in full-blown muley rut and I am in the spot I am in the muley buck party in there and I'm just playing the game like this is a this is dream hunting for me just like the day prior was dream hunting hunting with dad you know killing his buck and getting those two stalks and seeing other bucks but I, I mean uh I am just in the in the spot and it is the most epic rut hunting and I have my bow like I can't picture myself anywhere else in the world this is as fun as fun gets I'm going for it you know and uh you just uh get so caught up in trying to get an arrow in one of these bucks and watching the rut that you just gosh you just take a second and just like see like the 
you know, you wait years and years to find this kind of quality hunting, you know, on public ground during general rifle season, you're seeing this many deer and this many bucks and this kind of rut and activity. And I have my bow in my hands. Like, this is what I live for. This is absolutely what I live for. So Anyways, I'm just so psyched on the moment and where I'm at, and I mean, I'm just smile ear to ear playing the game, and even though I busted that buck with big backs, I still got that big three and that big three by four, and now they're up above me, and I'm in a pretty good position to roll around and make a play on them, so I roll to the top and and uh, get up there and, and uh, just start cresting that hill, and I can't see any does, but that, that buck's right in front of me, that three by four, and uh I think I got him at like uh, 57 yards right there feeding. And so I, I wait on him and wait for a, a good quartering away shot. Uh, he quarters away at me pretty good. And, and I put one on him, shot executed perfect, settled my pin and pull, 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 shot broke and, and uh, just caught him perfect. Well, well, I, I, I caught him a little bit back, but the arrow was coming up through him, you know. And so, um, you know, and I don't, it wasn't that hard of an angle. I, you know, I'm not even sure how I missed a little left, but a few inches here or there, that's just archery. And so um, hit him a little bit back, but quartered up into him. Definitely a lethal shot. And uh, he takes off, and then I see him come over the next draw, and he makes it like a... Oh, 100 yards or so, maybe 150 yards, and beds up, definitely hurt. And uh, so I think, man, he's going to die right in front of him, right on, arrow this buck, epic hunting, like how killer is this? So I just take a moment and just um, soak it all in and kind of keep my eye on that buck, and there's another buck up on the hill, I start taking pictures of him, and that's back, and God, it's just taken that buck a while to die. I mean, all of a sudden, an hour goes by and he's still alive. And it's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I got up there and caught the lungs. I must have just caught that liver, you know. And it's, it's definitely not guts. A gut shot, you know, they'll, it takes them a little bit longer to get sicked up and will take them a while to die. But that liver shot sometimes, it'll just take them a bit to die. And so, you know, I, I always like to make a, a clean, quick kill, and so, you know, I would have loved to make a perfect shot on that buck, and it was a good shot. It did quarter up in there, but I think I got liver, and so, you know, I see that buck laying there, and it's just like, man, oh man, what do I do? Do I, you definitely don't want to spook him or bump him and have him go miles and miles and lose a deer, because you know he's going to die, but there too, you don't want him to just suffer and sit there and wait for him for multiple hours, but you're trying to make the right decision. And so finally I thought, man, he's pretty sick. I'm just going to sneak down there and put another arrow in him. And so I snuck down to 40 yards or so and put a, put a closing shot on him and, and he died fairly quick then. But, um, yeah, I definitely don't like to, to see him suffer. You know, it, it always means a ton to me when I can make a perfect shot and that thing's alive for about 15 seconds. It just adds to the experience, but you know, it's, it's bow hunting and it's archery and, and it, you don't always get it the way you want it. And I had a good ethical shot on him where, you know, I can, I can hit a tennis ball 10 out of 10 times, you know, at that distance. But, uh, his shot was a little right or, you know, maybe they, he jumped the string too. You know, those, those mule deer, and I, I hate to, you know, blaming it on jumping the string is the most common um, uh, cause for miss, but they do jump your strings a lot. Whitetail, antelope, mule deer, even mule deer, big mule deer bucks, like one out of four will jump your string and leave you heartbroken. And, um, you know, a lot of times they'll roll away from your arrow. And so that, that buck could have jumped my string. And, and that's kind of what I thought on the deal is why I got him back is he got a step on me. But, um, 
any anyways, I, I'm not sure if he jumped my string or if my, my arrow was just a touch back, but um did take him a while. But got that closing shot on him and and then now that he's dead, you know, now I can I can be happy and and, uh, and celebrate the, the harvest of this great Bach. But yeah, just a great big heavy 3 by 4 He doesn't score the best, but he's nice and wide and really heavy and older deer. I'm just so happy with him. I mean, to, to harvest that thing with my bow and have those epic couple days of, of mule deer hunting or a few days of mule deer hunting um, just means the world. And with the bow, you just got to take your opportunities like um, as they come, like... Like, sure, would I love to 180-inch deer? You betcha. But, you know, you also got to risk not filling your tag at that point. Not that filling my tag every year is a is a big deal. But, I mean, for me, my goal this year, and you guys maybe heard me talk about this last year after mule deer hunting, is I just wanted a mature buck. And I, I was able to accomplish it and get this buck arrowed. So, um, just absolutely means the world to me. And so... I, I took my time and just soaked up the the whole encounter and the the, the rut I had experienced and just that awesome hunting. Like, I mean, it may be years again before I experience rut hunting like that at, at its absolute finest, at just action-packed and making plays and in tight and with my bow. And so um, I just, I soaked it all in and just enjoyed the experience. I took my time, you know, with pictures and butchering them. It was nice and cold, but the sun was out and and then just packed them out in the the evening light, and um, yeah, just made the most of the experience. Uh, uh, just absolutely awesome. It was so cool hunting those those muleys during the rut, and then able to help my uncle. Um, my uncle hasn't harvested a deer, and it's like been I don't know uh, five six years or something like that. Um, I'm trying to remember the last one he harvested was this big candlestick buck. And uh, so he hasn't harvested a, a good buck for a while, and he passed on a lot of bucks. And then we finally found this this really nice deep forked buck that had great fronts, great backs. And I told him, I said, "Man, that's a heck of a buck. We should make a play on that." So I I got to make a play on that buck with um, him and and uh, my uncle Roger, and then my dad went with us. So it was us three and hunting and able to make a, a play down just a this snowstorm, and that buck was rutting does and able to get in and he made a perfect shot on that buck um and dropped that and and uh, he was really appreciative and and uh, just an awesome mule deer and then um you know I just got these networks of all these spots out there and then um cousin and and my other uncle made it out there and able to to go out and get my cousin a nice buck and he shot his best buck and so just an absolute epic trip. Um, and, and part of the, the coolest thing is I hadn't got, like I grew up hunting with, with my dad and his two brothers and my cousin and also my grandpa and some other family friends and that. But, um, you know, I grew up hunting with these guys and I was just a kid at the time and, and uh, my dad would just walk me so hard. We hunted Western Washington is where I grew up and we would just beat brush day in, day out. We never road hunted. It was just, it was our MO, whether it was the, it was raining, um, you know, which it's always raining in Western Washington. And you would, uh, um, put on your rain gear and you go out and beat brush. And so we hunted hard and, you know, as the years have gone on, my dad's moved out here to Montana with me and we've been out here 20 years and we've been hunting partners. My dad still goes really hard. He'll do anything with me. And he's kind of got away from a lot of the wilderness stuff 
as I think it's just too much effort where he doesn't really enjoy himself anymore, but he keeps himself in good shape. Like I can, I can push him to the end of earth and he's always right behind me. He's just built for endurance, but you know, I've seen him kind of get older. That's how I know my dad now. And, and he's not that old. He's still young and he goes hard, good shape. He's 56, but just his mindset has kind of changed. He's not as aggressive. You know, a lot of times he'll let me go by myself you know, and, and, and also letting him harvest that buck. He's, he's let me go on so many stocks and taught me to hunt as a kid. And, you know, to be able to pay him back for that with his biggest buck was just, was just unbelievable. But any, anyways, where I'm going with this is like, um, my dad, he's kind of got this mindset now, you know, where he doesn't go as hard. And, and I'm this young kid that is just going everywhere. I'm going to multiple different states. I'm in grizzly country, lightning country, you know, you name it. I am pushing my limits and I'll do 20 miles a day and I'll, I'll, uh, take, I'll, I'll pack a buck out by myself. And I, I am just constantly pushing my limits and I'm running marathons and ultra marathons to be in shape for hunting season. And I've just taken it to this next level, which, which I, enjoy to the foot but I've always gone so hard and then you know my dad's he's he's kind of takes a back seat and he does a couple hunts with me but it's just not that big a deal if he gets something or not and and um and he he likes to harvest and he likes to go hard but it's just different I've seen my dad and so I kind of know him as it's kind of you know older and more mature and then you know my uncle's even more so they're they're older than my dad and and they still go hard they still love to hunt but it, it isn't the same like I I don't even know if my uncle from Washington likes to hunt with me anymore I, I always say that as a joke because I just push him so hard when he's had an elk tag over here like you know, you got to go hard and get into the backcountry. And I, I mean, I grind him into the mountains to, you know, almost to the point of where he's not having fun, which is payback for him when I was a kid, taking me to all these spots and grinding me so hard in the rain and thick brush and stuff. But, um, so I, I joke that he doesn't like to hunt with me, but you know, I, I'm just absolutely kidding. But I, you know, I kind of know now the three brothers are, are kind of getting older and they're kind of, um, you know, and they, they're still in good shape and they can still go hard, but they're just a little bit more reserved and, and, uh, you know, you, you get on nasty roads and they get nervous or nasty weather and they just, they play it more safe. And I, you know, and, and you know, you, you get wiser as you get years underneath you as well. And I still go just as hard as when I was young, but I used to be like a little bit more reckless, I'd say. <laughs> I just took more risks. And so I think it's just something you get with age. And I'm I'm never going to stop going as hard as I can absolutely go because it's my love. I love pushing my limits. I want to be in better shape. You know, I'm 37 now. Like I'm still just in the prime. I've learned all this knowledge about Western hunting and, and I'm going to work so hard to keep myself in shape where I can just keep finding my limits and pushing so hard because it's what I love to do but where I'm going with this is the three brothers have kind of got more reserved but to get them in a wall tent and start hearing these stories about their youth man oh man I I wish I could record this or get them on a podcast but it was just almost one of those moments in the wall tent wood stove going and you're sitting around and you're telling stories and the three brothers telling stories they used to go so hard. Oh my God. They used to, uh, you know, they, they were doing what I was doing. It was just in, in Washington and there wasn't, you know, they hunted out of state here and there, but it was pretty much going for in Washington for, for blacktails in the backcountry and elk. 
Um, but they're the ones who taught me about backpack hunting, but knew absolutely nothing. There was, there wasn't any information out. And so they're using old pack frames. They're not packing water. They're packing Cokes and they're packing, uh, Twinkies and you know, whatever else they could fit in their pack, but huge packs that weighed way too much and, and packing in there. And they're, they're leaving at, at three o'clock in the morning, day in, day out. And so to hear these stories in a wall tent, even before I was hunting with them and how hard these three brothers went. Um, and just some of the stuff they went through and, and, and challenges they faced, you know, and that, you know, there was a, a guy that died back where we used to hunt. His name was, uh, Oscar Buck and he died back there. He froze to death, hypothermia back where we used to hunt, but they used to grind so hard and they didn't have the gear that we had. I mean, they had old Helly Hansen, like, um, De- deadliest catch rain gear out there and then, um, flannels and wool pants and uh, which wool is good. Don't get me wrong, but. They didn't have the the quality of gear. They didn't have the knowledge or backpacking knowledge. Um, and, and then getting a deer out. Um, they they told me one story about uh, my dad and my uncle when they were younger. And uh, they'd always just, um, you hunt a lot of logged off country in Washington. And then we had these backpack spots that they started hunting where they could get further back in. But a lot of it was like all this logged off country where you just drag your deer down to the road or even an elk, you get enough guys on it, drag it down and then, you know, load it up whole like that. Or they told me this one story, they started backpacking, backpack hunting the spot and shot this deer way back in there in the spot that's four or five miles. And it's a grind to get in there. I mean, I remember it as a kid and then I've been back and hiked in there since. And it is a freaking grind to get in there, you know, and, and they shot a buck way back in there and they, they split that thing in half and drug it all the way out of there. Five miles or some crazy thing like that. This half deer, those guys were out of their minds. But they went so hard and just hearing these stories about, you know, uh, uh, their weeks of hunting and their adventures and different bucks they got into and different bulls they they got into and, um, you know, the the rodeos. They got horses at one point and and, uh, worked horses and some of the rodeos. My dad had this horse named Mayday and uh, he should have known from the from the name. But I mean, there's more stories about this horse, you know, uh, oh, hitting the vine maples on the pack and freaking itself out and just running down the trail and flipping itself over. And, uh, I mean, they got more rodeos and, and went so hard for these black tails and, and these, uh, the, these bulls. Um, it was just really fun. And it was the first time I could really see it in this different light. Like I, I always knew they hunted hard. And then as they get older and more reserved, you know, like they're kind of the older, more sensible guys. And I'm the crazy kid that goes everywhere. But when they were my age, they believe me, they were going just as hard. They were these Western Washington, just tough as nail guys that the weather never stopped them. Snow, rain, cold, um, and, and they didn't have the gear, they didn't have the knowledge, but oh my gosh, did they go hard. Uh, the effort put forth, you know, leaving at 3.30 in the morning to, to go get into spots and, and coming way out in the dark and, and, and out there where, you know, direction's a lot more confusing in Washington where it's all timbered and old growth and, 
uh, ferns growing underneath, you know, but um, they went so hard. And so I was able to kind of see it in this new light that I had never seen before that, you know, that's that's where I come from. That's that's my DNA right there. These three brothers going so hard. They instilled all this work ethic into me and all this this hard hunting into me, you know, that that's part of my makeup that I, I didn't even realize. Like I heard some old stories and it'd be cool, but I was finally able to like sit back in this wall tent and just go, wow, and just have this conversation with the three brothers that I got together. And the three of them haven't been together for six, seven years, you know, the last time my uncle Drew and cousin Drew, they both drew deer tags and, and, uh, killed a nice buck, but uh, my other uncle wasn't able to come, but just to sit in this wall tent and, uh, you know, have a cold beverage with, with these guys and to be able to sit there as their equal now as a, as a grown adult that pays bills and, um, hunts hard and, you know, has, has their respect. And then to be able to sit in there and hear these old stories of back in the heyday of this Western Washington in this coastal rainforest and, and, uh, just appreciate them for, for their effort and how hard they went, never missing a weekend, never missing a day, any day they could take off and go hunt, they were doing it and, and drive, you know, miles and spend all their money on gas just to be able to be in the woods and trying. And where hunting's a lot difficult, a lot more difficult to find animals and find out, but they would just go so hard and never lose faith and, and always be looking for that next critter. And so, that for me was one of the coolest parts of the trip was was being able to sit back and be able to appreciate these stories and appreciate appreciate like how hard my dad and his two brothers went for it in Washington and you know just the the stories a, a tents falling over and um I I mean they just had so many great stories um God, it, it was it's something that I'll I'll never forget and I have to take to heart and I want to. I need to sit down with a journal and just um, recall some of these stories that I can write down or maybe sit down with my dad. I think I could get my dad on the podcast to try to tell some of these stories with me in Western Washington. So maybe that's what I'll try to do. Maybe that's my next step. And then I'd have a, a recording of it, of my dad telling these stories. So I think I'll try to convince my dad and bring my recording equipment over and see if we can talk about some of the old heydays and in Western Washington. And then, you know, some of the adventures me and and dad have had you know I know when when we first moved over here to to Montana um, we moved over here and so hungry to kill bulls and um, kill elk and we're finally just in the in the heart of Montana being able to hunt but it's still not a given and it's not easy it's it's tough it's public land it's um, general season and 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 also we don't have the knowledge we're used to hunting western Washington we're not used to hunting Montana we had to learn everything but I remember um, I had killed a a couple bulls just going so hard and killed a couple bulls my first years out first year out here you know the first one I killed with my bow um is such an epic experience came into these two bulls fighting and I was just hunting after work after work every night I'd go hunt somewhere and I'd walk down this skitter road and caught these bulls fighting and able to sneak in and put a good arrow into this bull and then kill him and then come back and call my buddy Dan and, and get my buddy Dan up there and he helped me track down this bull and help me pack him out at night and uh, I still got a couple photos of that that I'll try to post up for you guys to see my my first bull elk and then um, the next year came along and I went in uh, hunted hard all bow season didn't kill one and then went rifle season for opener and convinced this this guy from work to go pack in with me backpack in and 
you know, it's that same Washington mentality, knew nothing about backpacking. And so I had way too much weight. I mean, I, who knows, 70 pounds worth of gear. I mean, I had eggs in there and bacon. I, I had so much crap in that, in that, um, backpack but I I just knew there was bowls like way back in the strange and so it backpacked in there and then um my buddy I had convinced um I mean it got cold that night like well below zero and I got a Walmart sleeping bag and the pack in was brutal through a foot of snow and we got way back in there saw like a couple cows right at dark or maybe we were still hiking at the dark I think we saw some elk in the morning but it was before opener slept in there and it was um it was well below zero, like five below, 10 below, something like that that night. And I had this Walmart sleeping bag. Who knows what I had for a pad or if I even had a pad, but I froze that night. I had to wake up at like three, three in the morning or so. And I was having these dreams about death and, uh, not that I was on the edge of hypothermia, but my mind was dreaming up this stuff and I woke up so cold. I had all my clothes on and in my sleeping bag and I had to wake up and start a fire and started a fire and woke up at daybreak woke uh mike up the guy i was hunting with and and uh we went up and hunted and i i saw some cows didn't see any bulls or anything and and uh we got back and mike said no i'm i'm done says uh i i just can't do this i can't do this this back but this is too tough on me and i'm all man seriously like we're in here we got all our stuff in here like let's just hunt he's all man i'm i'm about out of water and i said well i'll go for water you know it's way down in this draw and so I, I left Mike there and I went down to go get water and got down in there and there was a grizzly bear track in there and there was blood in the track. I think somebody had shot it that morning and it was going down to where I had to get water. I remember seeing those grizzly bear tracks in the snow and this is like my second year in Montana. So I get down in there, fill up the water and come back. And by the time I get back, Mike's got all his stuff packed up. Well, I should say most of his stuff packed up. Um, he left some other stuff for me to pack out. I'm heavy enough as it is, but he just said he couldn't do it. And so he he left me in there by myself, but there was just no way I was coming out of there. And, and, uh, and then the next day I spotted two bulls way off about as far as you could go with an hour and a half left of daylight. And I remember I ran pretty much the whole way, leaving my camp, leaving my vantage point, all my stuff, and crossed this drainage and got up there and, and caught that bull at last light 200 yards and dumped this really nice 6 by 7 and started rolling down the hill. And it was so steep. He was rolling down the hill, and I shot him directly above me. And he's just flying. All I can see is horns and hooves. And pretty soon I'm like, man, do I go left? Do I go right? As he's rolling right at me. And I go right. Well, I get out of the way as this thing like rolls down by me at 60 miles an hour and tangles up in the this tree um but anyway so i killed a bull packed out my camp but uh so i had killed a couple bulls but dad still hadn't killed a branch antler bull and um so i just started glassing a bunch and i started believing in this glassing and i i spotted these bulls a long ways off and it was so far in there like um we made it in there in a day and we we packed in to stay overnight yeah, that's, that's right. We packed in to stay overnight, and so we dropped our stuff where we were going to camp, and then we made the climb after these elk I'd seen, and we got way up in there, and I pushed my dad to his absolute limits. I mean, I don't know how many miles and how much elevation we did that day, but it's got to be 12, 15 miles just in there to where we shot the elk, plus we brought him out a little ways that night, and then, um, gosh, all at 2,500 vert or probably getting in there and everything, probably more like 3,500 vert. Um, and you know, I, I didn't train at that point, you know, but I, I was young. I was, 
you know, 22 year old kid or something. So, you know, for, for me, I was able to push and, and dad too, he was in good shape from hunting hard, but I pushed him to his limits almost where it made him exhaustion sick and sickness. And he was so dehydrated in there after he shot that bull, but we got him in there and he shot his first, uh, branch antler bull, uh, in Montana. He'd killed some in Washington, but it was his biggest bull to date and, and killed that. But, um, so, you know, he was, he was still willing to go hard and push to his limits and we hunted really hard for, the next 10 years hunting together and you know and killed some great bulls here and there and and bucks as well but uh it it's just always really fun hunting with my dad and he he's still young and uh still in really good shape can still go really hard but um i'm i'm just starting to appreciate all these times i can hunt with my dad and these stories i have and 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 just how hard he went when he was my age um man those guys were absolute animals so um but that that was probably you know one of the coolest parts of the trip for me was sitting inside that wall tent and doing that so did get my uncle a deer did get my cousin a deer his his best deer today just uh epic hunting at, at its finest and um i i am just so fortunate to be able to take the time i did this season and then be able to have the hunting I did and to see that type of mule deer hunting was, was just insane to me. So that's, that's what I'm searching for is the, the next epic close encounter with my bow. But, um, man, that went quick. Uh, guys, I'm already at a, an hour and, and 20 minutes on this deal. Um, just so fun, such great hunting. Um, I'm going to try to close this thing out now and I got another, uh, get my run in and then, uh, record another podcast tonight. So I'm going to get that done and just keep working hard to get you guys uh, good info. Um, thanks so much for all the positive comments. I'm, I'm really seeing a lot of guys harvest nice animals, um, and, and send me a message and nothing means more to me than getting a message that you were successful and that you like the podcast. And so it just, the the uh, support has been absolutely overwhelming. Just want to continue to to do right by you guys and and uh, improve too, and improve at my um, interviewing skills and improve at you know my my conversation with good hunters and and getting the right information to you guys. Improve at these solo ones, um, solo podcasts, and and just take really good notes and and try to pay attention. You know when I when I'm finding success, why I'm finding success and try to keep getting you guys this next level um, tips and tactics to, to make you better in the field. So I sure appreciate all the support you guys with the podcast, uh, reviews on iTunes, um, the social media, Instagram, Facebook. Um, thanks a million guys. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to, to Eastman's for everything they do for the podcast and just a great company to work for. got some really good articles coming up. Um, one I need to get done this weekend. Um, that I need to write an article that I just pitched. And so I'll get that done. And then, um, the filming, I just had that, that mule deer episode come out, uh, high country of Wyoming. I, I think that turned out really well. Um, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the way it came out. Just had a great cameraman, the editor, uh, Lindsay put everything together for me, just some awesome time lapses she worked in. So I'm really proud of the way it came out and I just want to keep improving on the, on the video end of things and telling that story. So, um, pretty proud of that. Make sure to check that out. Eastman's hunting TV outdoor channel. Uh, I'm sure it'll rerun if you just look for it. 
and uh, it isn't out anywhere on the internet, but I really want to get some videos out to you guys um, out on the internet. I have an awesome caribou hunt uh, that I did earlier this season that I have recorded that I want to get out and uh, maybe get some beyond the grid stuff out. I got another mule deer hunt that's sitting around. I just... I got to find some time and sit down on my computer and edit these things out. But um, I'm going to get that to you guys uh, on a, on the uh, a, on an internet platform so you guys can see it. Um, and uh, with that, um, yeah, better get to it. Get my run in. You guys keep working hard. Um, keep collecting this trophy. Sending me shots. Uh, so happy for you guys. Uh, it's just this this cool family that we've built here at, at Eastman's Elevated. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So that's the end of the podcast. Uh, I'll check in with you guys next week.